Okay, we are live. Miss Carrie, you ready to do this? I am. Let's do it. It's time for another episode of the Daily K Podcast on KTTV.com with your host, Kendrick Thomas. Bridging the gap between the school and community. Here's KT. What to do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of the Daily K Podcast. And on today's episode, I have the author and founder of the Self Project, Miss Carrie O'Driscoll. How you doing tonight, Miss Carrie? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? I am great. You know, like I said, this is the first post spring break show, so um, excited to get it in and have some fun tonight. Um, and, and also, like I said. As an elementary administrator, it's not often that I get to talk about our two teams. Uh, so I am looking forward to this episode tonight. Great. Me too. All right. So um, as this is Wellness Wednesday, before we jump into things, I always like to do just a simple wellness check. So how are you and how have you been doing uh, during the pandemic? I am right now. I'm I'm good. Um, and I would say during the pandemic, I think I've been doing what everybody else is doing, which is trying to stay flexible, yeah. trying to stay connected to my people and trying to breathe. Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's the simple things in life. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is, that is awesome. And so, um, I know you said out in California, mm -hmm. um, how much is the gas? You know what? I drive an electric car, so Ooh, I know I have solar panels on my roof, which means it doesn't even cost me to charge my car because yes. it's all sun. Um, but according to my daughter, who is 19 years old, who lives in LA, gas is about six fifty a gallon, sweeping up on seven bucks. That is that is hurting. It's yeah. very it's very disappointing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> all right. So tonight, all about uh, connecting with our teams, right? And so, but a big part of of people's background is that empathy and being able to connect and say, well, I know what she's talking about. So mm -hmm. before we jump into that, give me a little bit of background on you um, and how what prompted you to start the Self Project? Mm. So I am the mom. I have two young adults. They are 19 and 22 years old. Um and I, my educational background is in adolescent brain and social development. Mm -hmm. I worked for a while um, for the Washington State Mental Health Division. Um, and I've always worked in sort of patient advocacy. So really working with families and kids to make sure that they're getting what they need to be getting out of this these behemoth systems and bureaucracies that we've created for them. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I started the self project is because teenagers, I think, are a pretty maligned group of human beings. They are actually my favorite people on the planet. I just think they are magic. And I think that when we start to dig into what's actually happening with them physiologically and socially and, you know, what's what's happening in their brains and their bodies and and look at all the expectations we pile on top of them. Yeah. I think we can start to have a little bit more understanding of mm -hmm. why they are the way they are. And we can see that the way that they're moving through the world is actually exactly the way they were designed yeah. to move through the world, mm -hmm. but we make it a lot harder for them. 
And so I started this self project as a way to kind of help educators and parents and also teens really understand some of those things, those invisible things that are at play. Yeah. So that we can have, you know, we can create relationship, we can create connection, we can help them really feel supported Mm -hmm. during this time when all of this stuff is happening and they're trying to just make their way through the world. Yeah, I I think about um, what you're saying about the expectations, you know, Um, and and we'll talk about a little later, but as they become those teens, um, and I did a podcast where um, the adultification of those young adults, right? And those, those pressures that we put on them. Uh, so yeah, yeah, very necessary. But but a- after being a high school uh, English teacher, and also I did my internship uh, administrator in high school, I would be I would see those things, those pressures that those parents would put on them, uh, especially as a football coach, right? I'm, I'm living through you. So awesome, awesome, awesome. So now jumping into that connection, uh, as the, as we know. Uh, this is the time where those teens become uh, the person that they'll be for the rest of their life. Yep. And so almost a new person, uh, which could make for turbulent times. As mm-hmm. as you talk to parents uh, in regards to uh, the self-project and navigating through that time, what do you tell people to even begin to make connections with their teens? You know, I think the most important thing for us as adults to do is to understand that honestly, the most important work of adolescence is identity development. Like you said, right? These years are the years where where we are figuring out who we're going to be. And so, and that's really hard work. And so as the adults, if we can sort of give them wiggle room to try on different things and really just sort of lead with curiosity, right? Like, so cool. What is it about that particular activity that really speaks to you, you know? Or what is it about this thing? You know, maybe you've played sports your whole life and then you get into high school and you decide, I don't really want to do that anymore, right? Ask, like, why? What is it? Not as not as a challenging thing, but as a, like, I'm genuinely curious. What is it about that, you know? Because what we all need, but especially what teens need, is practice articulating and connecting the dots, right? That sort of that sort of helps with all that executive functioning. So they might have some sort of inkling about what feels good or what doesn't feel good, what feels right or what doesn't feel right. But when they're invited into a conversation with someone to kind of try to explain that, they're actually able to understand it even better themselves. So number one, I think, you know, treating them like unique human beings that have really important needs and desires, just like we do, is huge. You know, lead with curiosity. The other thing I tell parents is we got to learn to share power. We have to learn to share power with adolescents, right? Because this is where they're going to learn. How do I navigate different relationships? What's okay? Where can I push boundaries and where can't I, right? And if they don't learn that at home, where the consequences aren't maybe quite so big or where they have a safe container, a safe place to land, then they might be learning that when they're off at college or at a trade school or living by themselves, where the consequences are a lot bigger and they don't have that safe place to land. So where can we share power? Where can we give up a little bit? Where can we invite them into conversation? Man, you you hit it right on the head. Like I said, as that coach, um, thinking about that sports, I've seen uh, when that kid gets to high school and 
well, mom says I've invested all this money in these tournaments and all this. Um, but then when it comes down to it, that's not what you want to do. And it, that conversation is not a why, right? It's a, you let me down. It's a, and that takes that kid into an entirely different place. Right. Right. It does. And, and what kids end up learning is to squash their own desires and their own ideas, right? Well, what I want isn't important. Somebody else knows me better than I know myself. Somebody else knows better what's going to be good for me, right? And I don't think we want our kids to question that when they get out into the world. I think we want our kids to feel pretty confident in who they are and trust their own instincts. So unless we give them opportunities to do that, where are they going to learn it? Yeah. Yeah. Type. And now the question is, did you use a lot of that theory with your kids? I did. I mean, yeah. there were, you know, I'm not going to say I was perfect. There were times yeah. where I absolutely, you know, struggled. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my youngest daughter was a phenomenal lacrosse player. She mm -hmm. was absolutely fearless. She was fast. She was, you know, really, really amazing. And we, my kids grew up in Seattle. So I can tell you, I spent many, many weekends completely soaked sitting in the stands while it was pouring rain and freezing with hand warmers in my pockets, watching this kid play lacrosse, right? Not to mention the money and all of those things, right? And when she was in about sixth or seventh grade, she came to me and she said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, you've been doing this for six years, right? Like that, uh, what, you know, but I had to let go of a lot of that. Right. I had to sort of get quiet, go, go sit somewhere else and be like, why is it important to me? Yeah. That she continues. Right. And I can hear my dad's voice in my head going, don't let her be a quitter. You know, she's, she doesn't know what she wants. She's only 13 years old, you know, whatever, all of that stuff. But then I had to remember she might quit and a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, she might decide she really misses it. And guess what? She can go back and do it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, she could be exploring some other things, you know? And so she ended up, um, pursuing music and now she's 19 years old and living in LA and doing music for a living. See, there you go. There you go. And, and the thing is you didn't squash what, what her, her, her dreams were uh, by making her feel guilty about not doing what you thought her dream should be. Right. Right. Yes. And you know, there's so much fear around that too, right? Like I yeah. had parents come up to me and say, you know, she could get an amazing scholarship to college. Like her college could be free. She's such a great player. You know, she's, and it's like, I can't, I can't let that, that, you know, I got to live my life and it's her turn to live her life. Yes. I have to, I can't succumb to the fear of, you know, what if she doesn't get into college? Yeah. And now looking at the uh, self project, I, I know um, a lot of data went to, it went into that. Uh, went into the creating the product. So what were some of those data points? Um, and, and what did you actually learn as you went through that process? Mm. Oh my gosh, I learned so much. I mean, you know, I really dug deep into what do we know about adolescent brain development, right? Which parts of the, like, what is the brain actually doing during adolescence? Which, and when I say adolescence, that usually starts around age 10, Mm -hmm. It goes until age 22, 23. So it's a pretty long stretch of time, right? 
And one of the things, one of the hallmarks of adolescent brain development is they're the um, emotion center of our brain, which is called the amygdala. They're these two, you know, small little almond shaped structures in our sort of lizard brain that are like the emotion center. So they're fight, flight, freeze, right? During the adolescent years, they are physically swollen to three times their normal size. So that's a big deal, right? Like that means everything is viewed through an emotional lens during those years, right? So when we talk, when we roll our eyes and, you know, say to our kids, it's not that big a deal. Give me a break. You know, why are you being so dramatic? That's a physiological thing. It's not a choice, right? Like that's actually the way their brain is processing everything that happens to them is it's completely emotional. The other thing that's happening is the prefrontal cortex, which is this portion of your brain right up here at the front, is the last piece of the brain to become really, really fully online and developed. And the way that that happens is that the the brain starts to sort of prune off the all the information when you know when from zero to ten, our brains are like sponges. We're like taking in all the information. That's why your two year old is going, "Why? But why? But why?" You know, making us crazy, right? They're sucking in as much information as possible. Between ten and twenty ish, the brain is becoming more efficient. So we're kind of pruning off the things that don't really make sense, but we're also making connections across different subjects. We're going, wait a minute, if that's true over here, whoa, what if this is true over here too, right? And and so there's this creativity that starts to come online. And there's and that also is something that prompts adolescents to start to push back a little bit. It's not anymore why is it that way? It is does it have to be that way? Could it be this other way? Right. So a lot of us as adults experience that as disrespect or, you know, no talking back. I don't know about you, but I was raised to not talk back. That's it. But but again, that's that's natural. That is what the adolescent brain is supposed to be doing. That's exactly what it's primed to do. Right. So and then the other thing is that we know human beings as a general rule, not just adolescents, learn in the context of relationship, right? That's how, that's how we learn. We learn in relationship with people. We don't, we don't learn as efficiently or effectively on our own. And so, and adolescents are really socially driven, as we all know, again, that's a physiological thing. They're driven to make connections and find their tribe and figure out who they are. And so as I was doing all this research and creating the curriculum that I put together, I was testing it out, right? My kids were in middle school. And so their little friends were all my guinea pigs. And I drove carpool for hours every day because we lived in Seattle and the traffic's horrible. (laughs) And so I would have these, I would start these conversations with them, right? And so really I developed the curriculum around those basic kinds of tenets, knowing, you know, we need to be in relationship. We have to be able to have conversation with each other. And the more we can move ourselves from the emotion center of the brain to the logic center of the brain, the more we are refining and making more efficient the way that the brain works. And so that's really sort of the basis of the work that I do at the self project. Yeah. And, and um, you know, as, as you talk about that and you say be in relationship Oh, uh, that makes me think of mine of how that parent-child relationship can sometimes be blurred, right? Uh, because you want to be in that relationship, but then I- I've seen where people say this is my best friend or 
or things like that. So as you look to uh, develop that relationship, you talk to people about that. How do you kind of be proactive in telling them about that running, running to? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think it is important for us to be in relationship with our kids. It, yeah. it That is the most important thing that we can do. And it's also important for us to be in like a mentorship kind of relationship, right? Like it's not, it's not that we're not equals because we're not both equally worthy human beings. It is that one of us has a fully developed prefrontal cortex and a lot more life experience, right? So yeah, we want to have healthy, committed, reciprocal, loving relationships with our kids. And there are going to be times where we have to set a boundary or we have to say to them, yep, I'm absolutely willing to share power with you on this. And here's what I know from my life experience. Let me help you sort of connect the dots. Because that's the other thing about the adolescent brain, right? They are impulsive and they're really driven to take risks. And again, that's not a choice. It's it's a physiological reality. So we do get frustrated with them for, for being impulsive, but that's actually how they're wired to be. And the more that we can explain that to them and say, I get it. I understand you feel like this is a do or die moment. I understand you feel like the stakes are so high right now. And here's what I know from my, from my life experience. So if we can do it as sort of a, a mentorship, and if we've created an atmosphere of trust, then they're way more likely to actually honor what we say and listen to what we say and believe us. But if we do this whole, like, I'm your best friend kind of thing, um, it's not helpful for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you oh, look, sometimes the information is so powerful. Like right, right now, when I think about everything that you're saying, um, and, and I think about how I look at it in relation, I almost have to go back and unlearn some things of what I think about these kids, you know, even like, like you say, I'm, I'm dramatic. And he's always going, well, mom, or dad, after you say, you know, like, cause that's the school it's like, well, Mr. Thomas, yep. you know, but, but, but that's a part of it. So then, when you're thinking about like what I said, how to connect, um, now this information is really just so powerful in fostering that connection. But mm -hmm. now I will speak on another part. Mm -hmm. In my world, uh, I was taught spat a rod, spoil a child. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but now as we look at fostering and, and developing that relationship, talk to us about punishment. Um, and you said we shouldn't use that as a means of corrective action. Yeah. So what do we do? I mean, I think there are a couple things. Number one, when you talked about unlearning, yeah. that is something that I think is so important for parents and educators to do is like when we, you know, when we witness a kid doing something that they're not supposed to be doing and we have that instant, you know, gut reaction, right? We need to learn to take a minute and sort of unpack that right? Why is this bothering me so much? What is it? Right. And whose voice am I hearing in my head? Right. Like I, my dad was a Marine and I could tell you there was very much a spare the rod, spoil the child kind of, you know, thing happening. I mean, 
but is that the message that I want to send to my kids? Right. And, and is this something that's really necessary? Like, do I actually have to punish my kid or is there a way that we can have a conversation about it? Right. Is this something where maybe there was a huge misunderstanding, right? Or maybe what I saw, what I witnessed was the tip of the iceberg. So can I take a step back, first ask myself the question, why is this raising such a huge response in me? And is there some history there that has nothing to do with my kid that is you know, making me feel especially angry or upset about this? And then, you know, what is, what do I ultimately want to come out of this? I mean, if what we want is for our kids to learn from their mistakes, what we have to know is we don't learn when we're scared. You know, when our fight, flight, freeze response goes off, the language processing part of our brain goes completely dead. And so if you're yelling at your kid and they're scared, right? Or you're punishing them for something and they're feeling scared or overwhelmed or really, really sad about something. They're not hearing what you're saying. They're not learning from that, right? So it's, I think it's really important for us to, again, invite our kids into conversation and with curiosity, why do you think you made that particular choice? What do you think it was that led you to that? And sometimes they're going to say, I don't know. And you know what? That's true. Because again, that's that impulsivity. That's that emotional reactivity. That's that lack of critical thinking that they have going, right? So then it's our job as the adult to say, we're, I'm going to walk you through this and we're going to connect the dots together. Because what that does is it sort of lays this path for them. It models for them. What does it look like when I'm using my critical thinking skills? So you know, and sometimes, I mean, it's not, it's not the same as when your two-year-old won't hold your hand in the parking lot and they go racing off, right? Like most of the time for our teenagers, the consequences are not really massive. And if they are, then there are things we should have been talking about a long time ago, right? Sex and drugs and, you know, driving and things like that. But it's really, I think, again, going back to that sort of mentorship kind of model, it's our job as the adults in their lives to help them learn from their mistakes and and to absolutely 100% admit these kids are going to make mistakes every single day. That's literally their job. The only tragedy is if they don't learn from it. And how are they going to learn from it? they're not going to learn from it on their own and they're not going to learn from it by being scared. They're going to learn from it by us sort of taking them by the hand and walking them through the consequences of here's where things went sideways. So next time, instead of veering off this way, mm -hmm. let's try to think about, you know, mm, that's like uh, Kathy said, uh, communication between both individuals is the key role, man. Yep. So, um, now, I know we looked at um, the questions through the lens of a parent, but it's also set up for educators, as, as we talked about it a little bit. So how does the education side um, look different from the parent side? Like, is it different points or pretty much the same keys just develop differently? You know, it, I think it's really pretty much the same. It mm -hmm. is one of the because we know 
that human beings learn best in relationship. If I'm an educator, I'm going to want to set up an environment in my classroom where all of my kids feel like they are respected and they trust me and they can come to me and we can sort of be in relationship with each other, right? I don't want to set up a classroom where my kids feel like I have all the power and they have none of the power, right? I want kids, especially as they get older, to have some agency, to feel like they can be sort of co-architects of their own education. And so, yeah, I mean, for, and the other piece of it that I think is really, really important, which is something that doesn't happen very much in high school, is if we can have sort of this three-legged stool of parents, educators, and the student, all in relationship together, man, that's nirvana, right? Yes. Right there. If I know that as an educator, I have set up a relationship with a parent where I can say to them, something's a little off, you know, I'm not quite sure what it is, but I'm a little nervous about, you know, or I can go to the child and say, something's a little off and they can maybe say to me, yeah, this thing is happening at home. Okay. How do we all work together then to kind of give you the support that you need so that we can kind of get you back over here and you're back on track. Yeah. And that's one difference uh, from, you know, being in elementary parents are so hands-on at that stage. Um, mm -hmm. But um, um, I want to say 2012 though, I, I was, I did a parental involvement um, engagement in Belize and it was like parents, it was still the issue parental involvement as they got older. Like, that's one thing I would talk to them about. So uh, being able to have that relationship uh, between parent, teacher, and student, especially when they're old enough to advocate for themselves, I mean, it, it is so very powerful, you know, just speaking yeah. from experience on that one. Yeah. Awesome. So new book coming out. Yes. What is it? Talk to me. It is. Here, I'll show you. It's called Happy Healthy Teens, Why Focusing on Relationship Works. And it is for educators and for parents of teens. And it really just goes through a lot of that unpacking that we as adults need to do around, you know, when, when is it hard for me to have compassion for a teenager? Um, you know, what kind of, how was I raised? What did respect look like to me? And then how, what messages am I sending about that? So there are lots of different sort of activities and um, ways for folks to have conversations with teens, you know, what, like we can kick off different conversations about what their passions are, about how they're developing their identity, you know, um, about, you know, how they're navigating stress and mental health for themselves. Um, and so really it's just sort of a, a guide for the adults in the lives of teenagers around how do I create caring reciprocal relationships mm -hmm. with teenagers so that they can feel really confident when they move out into the world on their own, that they know what a healthy relationship looks like and that they know how to seek out people and discern who can I ask for help? Who is trustworthy? And what does that look like? And, and I know you said that this is more of a guide for the parents. Now for the self project, um, when I order that, is there, is there projects where me and my teen are connected, working together, or is that kind of the same as a guide for that parent or educate? 
It, you know what? It, I, it really depends. I do lots of different tailoring kinds of things. So I run support groups for parents of teens. So I can take up to, you know, nine families at a time where we'll sit and we'll go through, you know, eight weeks of talking about what it, it what it means to parent teens. How do we talk to our kids about sex? How do we talk to them about race? How do we, you know, help them navigate their own mental health challenges and stress? Um, I also do individual parent coaching or I will work with parents and teens. It's really, I try to tailor things individually so that folks can come to me for what it is that they need because there is no one size fits all, right? Yeah. I mean, we've got kids who have neurodiversity. We've got parents who have neurodiversity. We've got um, folks who are co-parenting who aren't living together. I mean, there's so many different combinations and permutations of things. Um that I really try to offer kind of, you know, folks, again, I will lead with curiosity and say, what is it that you think you need? Yeah. And then how can we figure that out? Mm. Lead with curiosity. I like that phrase. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. now as we get ready to wrap it up for tonight, um, I always like to just leave with that last uh, appeal, if you would use. Um, mm -hmm. So for someone struggling, whether it's educator, whether it's parent, Mm -hmm. um, to make that connection with their team, what, what words do you give them to just point them in the right direction? I think it's important for us to know that teens are shown in so many different ways all day long, every day by so many different people, what they're not good at yet, what they haven't mastered yet. And one of the most powerful things we can do as parents is invite our teens to teach us something. And it can be like TikTok or, you know, how to throw a lacrosse ball. Like it can be your favorite video game, but let, give them opportunities to be the expert. Give them opportunities to be in charge. Like what, what can you teach me? Even if I look like a fool doing it, I cannot play video games to save my life. My kids love teaching me how to play video games because I look like a fool and they think it's great. But you know what? I'm willing to spend that time with them and it creates a connection. It's it breaks up that hierarchy, I think, mm -hmm. which nice. is really, really important. Most most definitely. Um, like you say, it is not we're not on the same level because we're not both worthy adults. It's just I'm the mentor, you the mentee. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you don't have valuable yeah. skills and ideas, yes. right? So yeah. you teach me something for once. Mm -hmm. Oh, trust me. They they will. Mm -hmm. They will. I've been on TikTok a few times looking <laughs> very bad at dances because I'm trying to learn. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And so how do we find you? Uh, how do we get more information on the work that you're doing? Um, I the, There's a website called The Self Project. And um, you can go there. There's um, offering, you know, the, you, there's links to the books. There are blog posts on there. There's contact information. If folks want to reach out and say, you know, when's your next parent support group or, you know, how can we um, get coaching or whatever? That's that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's just there's the contact information through the website. Mm, nice. Well, I want to say thank you again, Ms. Carrie. The, the information uh, was so awesome tonight. So I really look forward to sharing it. Uh, and putting it out with everybody and, and especially making those clips to really just hone in on some of the gems that you dropped. So thank you for that time this evening. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was great. And, you. Um, you know, we all need to love teens a little more. I agree. <laughs> I, I Look, you have it worked on me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to school <laughs> uh, with a different outlook tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so thank you. 
Thank you. All right, y'all. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.